Hello and welcome to The Rabbit Hole, the definitive developers podcast in sunny and drizzling downtown Manhattan. I'm your host, Michael Nunez. We have our co-host today, Dave Anderson, the producer, William Jeffries, and our featured guest, Charles Curran. And today we'll be talking about Scrum, Kanban, and Scrumban. And what is all those different words that we just mentioned? We're just going to drive and dive right into it. Cool. Sounds exciting. Although I do believe it may be Kanban since it is Japanese. Ah, yes. Kanban. Excuse yeah, me. I from a... Toyota Lean Manufacturing. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I read it and it's just Kanban and then that always happens. No, it's Kanban. But yeah. I always get that wrong, <laughs> unfortunately. I think it's the New Yorker in you. I think, yeah. <laughs> I think so too. I can't help it. I mean, July 4th is coming up too. So yeah. we're all American. Exactly. You know, America. <laughs> We'll jump right into Scrum. I believe everyone here currently recording and for the listeners out there have experienced Scrum. So we'll just go and dive right into what that means to all of us and how we use that day to day in our lives. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe, William, do you want to define Scrum? Yeah, Scrum is a methodology that was come up with by one of the signers of the Agile Manifesto. I want to say it was Jeff Sutherland. We should probably double check that. But the idea was that the Agile Manifesto was a little bit too loose and needed some, you know, rubber meets the road implementation details. So they came up with this system, which is supposed to give you some guidelines for how to actually implement an Agile team in the workplace. The term Scrum comes from rugby, actually. Oh, interesting. I had no idea. Oh, yes. Yeah, so were they uh, trying to push the ball forward a little bit at a time? Yeah, it was supposed to encapsulate the you know chaos and fun of teamwork and stuff. Okay. That's that's not the part where they like lift you up by your pants, though, right? That's for <laughs> what sport is that? <laughs> is that is that still rugby? <laughs> that's a rugby thing. <laughs> I wonder what scrum has to do with sprinting. Then there's not much sprinting going on in a rugby scrum. I guess well, eventually, eventually <laughs> you had to sprint with the in rugby, right? Like for your life, not for your life to to score, I guess. And it's like kill the man with the ball, but, <laughs> but in a football field or not. Uh, but yeah, so Scrum has a lot of what I'm going to call ceremonies, right? And as Charles mentioned, Sprint yep. is one of the many things. Before you go on to a Sprint, you would have a planning meeting. Mm -hmm. Planning meeting is when you have a list of work or tasks at hand that will allow the team to know exactly what work is ahead of them. And with that information that gets parsed within the product owner and the project manager and the business analyst, whoever is designing these stories will determine how much work the development team can get done in iteration. And the or sprint. Yeah, or sprint. You're right. thinking XP. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Pardon my confusion between the... XP and Scrum, which is probably another episode in itself. Yeah. So a sprint would then take X amount of days, I guess, imagine to whatever the team agrees on and then has to commit to that work in a sprint. Is it also like part of the Scrum philosophy that the sprint is sacred and there's no changing what's in and out of the sprint? Yes, I believe so. I think it's like the work <laughs> that you commit is the work that will get done. It's like yep. you go and you say, all right, we're going to do this amount of work. We believe with our previous experience and our previous data shows, we can get X amount of work done. We believe we would 
commit to why I'm out of work. Why as a variable, not like why, like why are we doing this? Why? But why? <laughs> <laughs> just want to be clear. But yeah, I mean, Scrum does have a lot of other ceremonies as well. I think at the end of a sprint, retrospectives, an episode we have covered once before, is also a process that you can have at the end of the sprint to, the, to discuss things that went well, didn't go well, and many other ways of running a retro. You're forgetting the daily Scrum. Oh, yeah, the daily one. Right. There is a daily one that happens. It's called Stand Up, as we're currently doing in this episode, thanks to Charles' idea. Pretty, pretty good so far. Stand Up happens where you, everyone gives one or two sentences on the work that they're doing or the work that they did, the work that they're going to do, and if they're blocked. With that, you are ensuring that you get an update from everyone on your team. And if someone is blocked, then you do your very best to unblock that person so that they can continue doing the work. It's part of the nature of the work that I've done for a long time. And, you know, stand-ups always go when they're really, really fast. Just get everyone's update. If there's anyone that needs help, you go, boom, and help them out. Go on with work. Keep working. So it sounds like Scrum is pretty prescriptive. Like you're going to do these things at these times and kind of like this is how it generally works. There's like organizations like Scrum Alliance that are kind of defining what those are and how you should do them and certifying people. Right, yeah. You can become a Scrum master who pretty much knows the exact process, how to introduce it to a team and without a lot of friction and ensuring that the team uses the process well. And I think like... Within Teams, I definitely learned how to use Google Calendar because you know exactly what meetings are up and about and ready to happen. Stand-up happens, you know, at this hour of the day on a working day. Retro happens every, you know, sprint at the end of a sprint at a particular point in time. So you can definitely predict everything that will happen throughout the week. No change of that. I think there's an importance of a Scrum Master. I've, I've been on Teams where they've had a designated person only did scrum mastery and, <laughs> and then, the scrum mastery and then there's been teams where i've been on where there was a developer that all also took on that role i think the essential part of that role is to ensure that work is moving forward and that whatever representation of the work being done your scrum board actually represents the work that is actually happening right yeah i think it gets confused a lot though with agile I've heard people complain about Agile, and when I asked them what they didn't like about it, they just talked about Scrum ceremonies. I think that anytime someone says Agile, I think that a lot of people automatically think Scrum because that was the form of Agile that they were maybe initially introduced to. Mm. I also think that people like to put process behind things, so it makes it a lot easier to communicate. So I think that a lot of times when maybe... Experts have communicated certain Agile principles. They've communicated Scrum principles right? rather than the Agile Manifesto or something like that. So what don't you like about Scrum? It's a good question. I think that it varies from team to team, but I know that some teams I've worked on have had, a, had some difficulty with the commitment for a particular sprint. Either they feel like they're going faster and usually the product owner or someone on the product team or maybe a stakeholder is just on the thinking like, you guys are done with your work. You guys should get more into the sprint. And then developers also feel compelled to do that. On the opposite end, getting everything done that was committed to. 
And so there's sometimes this like careful balance, like of how much are you supposed to do in the sprint? Are you supposed to overload it or are you supposed to underload it? Right. Yeah. It can feel bad if you have stories that are just living on the sprint week after week after week. Yeah. And conversely, it also feels bad to stuff a lot of things in at the end after you've completed the work. It can feel kind of disruptive where like you're, you're starting something new and you know, you're not ready for it. And then maybe it carries over to the beginning of the next sprint anyway. So it kind of feels like, why did we even decide that, that, you know, have time to begin with. I'm not sure about this, but is there, maybe someone else can answer this question. Mm -hmm. Is there a specific way that you should be estimating or there a specific way that you should be denoting how much work something is? Yes. Scrum is very prescriptive about that. Scrum says that you need to do planning poker and in planning poker, you need to use the Fibonacci sequence for your numbering. Right. And otherwise you're not a Scrum master. (laughs) (laughs) And I think, and some people try to make like the Fibonacci number, like a tangible number. Mm -hmm. Like I know there are places that I've worked at where like a one means that it takes a day of work to do. Like that is the number that some people read. And it's like, no, one is just like, one amount of work and then a two is a two of a one but it doesn't mean that it's like two days or something of that nature it's just like a tangible number that you that you and the team feel comfortable what these stories are but they're not like real numbers or like something that is conceptualized maybe at one could be one day but it doesn't mean that it will be and that's what that means yeah, the, in Scrum they say they recommend that people try alternative systems. Like they talk about using dog breeds, so a Chihuahua would be a one, and a Great Dane would be a thirteen. With the idea being that you want to get people away from the notion that points represent units of time because they don't. Yeah, I'm having a flashback to an earlier episode. <laughs> <laughs> I think we did talk about the specifics of estimating and and i remember the we use t-shirts as well i think that was yeah. part of part of it too there's a game of pickup sticks as well <laughs> <laughs> that was one of them yeah i think this is probably episode three planning meetings there you go Boom. more on uh, that in episode three yeah <laughs> i do think that another issue that can kind of mess up the flow of scrum is like outside interruptions. And I don't mean like the honking horns in the Holland Tunnel of New York City. I mean, like if you're working on a particular project and then there is a production bug that needs to get fixed, that was totally like oblivious to when you committed to a particular amount of work, you know, resolving that issue could take time in your sprint that you said you would commit to. Even then that could just throw off the entire sprint altogether. I mean, in, a, in the retro, obviously that'll be a negative. Like, oh, what wasn't good this week? Well, that huge production bug that forced Bobby to leave the team to handle for the rest of the week, you know, kind of slowed us down kind of thing. But that kind of interruption has to be managed in a way that it's minimal amounts of interruptions as much as possible when you have a sprint. So what do you do when Scrum's not working for you? You don't want to do Scrum anymore. It's just your team doesn't like it. The ceremonies don't feel right. Right. I mean, I worked at another team that did uh, Kanban. And you can use Kanban. If Scrum isn't really working for you, Kanban is the implementation of continuous improvement. I think Dave corrected me earlier when I said Kanban about (laughs) where it actually came from. So, Dave, if you'd like to fill us in on what is Kanban. Yeah, so... 
Kanban. It's a Japanese word. It comes from out of uh, lean manufacturing, practiced by Toyota in the 80s, I believe. And so they, they process their practice this form of Kaizen continuous improvement, you know, the practice of just figuring out what needs to get done in the very moment. Right. So I think that like one of the, one of the differences that I've seen, like on a Kanban board, I would say it's like, there's a list of work that gets prioritized and each developer or pair will take that work and then get it done. And as they're completing that work, if there's any like issue or any new features that they may have sought out or whatnot, they can present it to their product owner or project manager. And then it's constantly being reorganized so that things that are will take higher priority and gets changed throughout the sprint, if you want to call it, throughout the week. I don't want to use the word sprint because that's what we were using for Scrum. I don't even think it's a week. It's just through time. It's just, yeah, it's just through time, right? And you can just constantly prioritize to ensure that you get the continuous improvement that Kanban provides because you're not like limited to this sprint. Right. And that's probably the most iconic thing that people would know is the Kanban board because it's often used in different project tracking tools like Jira. You'll have Mm -hmm. different lanes and those lanes will like kind of be different states that your work flows through to the done state which is your your happy place when you've delivered value right i think one of the important things about kanban as you both were talking is the constant movement forward of work and i think that one of the things that kanban brings to light is when something is stuck somewhere for a while you notice it Mm. And so that way there could be a focus on what's stuck. Right. Yeah, it also brings to light bottlenecks, which is part of lean manufacturing. The idea that the system is weakest at whatever point things start to pile up. And that's really visible on a Kanban board because you can see the carts physically piling up in one spot. And that tells you, oh, this is where we could improve the team most effectively. So let's say, for example, that you have you know, a group of designers and then a group of engineers and then a group of testers. And the group of designers can handle 10 stories a week and the developers can handle 10 stories a week, but the testers can only handle five. Right. So then mm-hmm. what you see is right before the testers, there's a big pileup. And you could add more designers or you could add more engineers and it would do nothing for the overall effectiveness of the system. Right. The best thing that you could do would be to take some people off of your engineering and designing teams and put them on QA. Yeah, right. I think an interesting thing with that idea too is that if you look at your board at different like times in the week, like if you if you're combining Kanban with Sprint or Kanban board with Sprint, then you might notice that like right before the end of the Sprint, all of your tickets are piling up in QA. But maybe at the beginning of Sprint or in the middle of Sprint, a lot of the tickets are piling up in Code Review. So you you could see different kind of bottlenecks at different times during that process yeah if you're doing if you're doing scrum yeah if you're you're doing doing agile then there would be no sprint right scrum Mm. bond yeah so i think that uh, that actually introduces the (laughs) the topic of scrum bond and i think i think one of you guys made that up no i mean i don't know i mean i'm pretty sure it's out in the internet somewhere it's just a combination of like the two things i feel like you know Stand-up is important like to, sh- to let your team know what it is that you're working on and if you're being blocked by something so then someone else can come in and help you. Retros are good to talk about 
you know, not the sprint that has happened, but the time that has happened between the two retros that has happened. You want to constantly improve the the work, but you also want to let, you know, your product owner, your project manager know what you estimate this particular piece of work so that they can then use that to prioritize. So like a planning meeting might still be a thing that you do, but you can leave it up to the the product owner or the, the project manager to determine where where in the stack it belongs prioritizing. And then from there, you can then just pick it up and go and be all can man about it until there is a meeting that you guys can you know come to an agreement to continue working the flow. Yeah. And I guess the advantage of that too is that you have an iteration or a sprint where things are kind of boxed up and it doesn't feel as much like an unending flow of work, which is fine sometimes. Like sometimes you just got to get in the zone and keep chipping away at the backlog. It's nice to take a pause and think about how we've been doing over the past period of time. Right. So is the point that you're taking certain elements of Scrum, but you don't necessarily have sprint boundaries. So for example, you every two weeks have a retrospective, every two weeks you have a planning meeting. Right. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, it's more or less that because I think one of the negatives that I forgot to mention in Kanban or excuse me, in Kanban is that like when you're working at a Kanban board and you're just constantly picking up work that needs to get done, you're like in that cycle forever because you're just working forever mm-hmm. and ever. And I think like, you know, retros are a good like way to indicate like a lap, if you will, mm-hmm. like from a marathon to like, you know, running around a track rather than running forever. If you have like this marker that says, you know, hey, let's talk about the previous two weeks that has passed, whether it's a iteration or it's just the past two weeks, that gives the team and like me personally an idea that like, okay, we could talk about this little block of time that has happened rather than like the past six months that I've been working out of this Kanban board. Yeah, although I would argue that if you are rigidly sticking to any agile methodology, you're not being agile. I think we'll probably have more on that when we do our Agile Manifesto episode. Yeah, no, and I totally agree. You got to take all the good parts and move around. I thought it was process over people. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Well, more on that episode whenever it comes. Coming soon. Don't worry. Are there any teaching learns? Yeah, I have one. I've been recently learning about cryptocurrency and how how Bitcoin is a thing and why it became about. I mean, a long time ago, Bitcoin was just the name that was being thrown. I was like, oh, yeah, whatever that is. And now I'm like really interested. And then there's a Dogecoin. So I feel like I need to invest in Dogecoins because, <laughs> because I want Dogecoins. I don't know. It's going to be used in the future. Such, yeah, such wow. Get them while they're hot. Yeah, bro. <laughs> yeah. I got to use the Dogecoins. I don't know for what. I mean, it just seems really interesting on like, something as tangible as like the dollar or the euro or like financial exchanges versus like cryptocurrency, which is not like, it's like science money. I don't know. It's just like (laughs) math money that's just there in the world. Yeah. It's all about that blockchain. You know, it's kind of cool. Like hearing about different industries that are now kind of using the blockchain as well as a distributed register for information. People are using it I think I was reading they were using it like in Eastern Europe for like real estate transactions, like keeping track of who owns what land because they don't want to bother with like a central government repository and the blockchain is open, public, everyone has it. 
So it seems like a great way of fighting corruption. It's a yeah, exactly. I think that's why they're doing it. Nobler use of the blockchain than Dogecoin. Not that also, Dogecoin is not. Awesome. Hey, hey, everyone <laughs> invest in Dogecoin now. <laughs> buy, 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 buy. And, <laughs> and I think the thing with that also is that they're able to implement this without the corrupt politicians really saying anything because it's really complicated and no one understands it until it's too late. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, I think it's a lot of the the developers at the client that I'm on is really, really hyped about cryptocurrency. And I'm just like, okay, I got to look into this now. It's pretty cool. So all the kids, yeah, all the kids are doing it. Cool kids. Have you guys looked at TrueCoin? It's spelled like T R U. No, it's spelled like T R E A U X. Like TrueCoin. Uh, it's, it's a TrueCoin. Sounds pretty elite. <laughs> yeah. My nonprofit had an extra server lying around and it got hacked and somebody started using it to mine true coin what oh. we like didn't notice it until somebody pointed out that one of our urls had this true coin mining dashboard displaying instead of our website oh my gosh <laughs> <laughs> what well, you didn't get any money out of that bro that true coin <laughs> oh man oh. i need to get more dogecoin servers i think that's what i'm gonna invest some time in Teach yep, and learning but, and on that. But don't hack William's box. Yeah, I've done <laughs> I'll make sure I won't do that. Cool. I'd like to thank my co-host. Thanks for coming on down. It's always yeah, a pleasure. It's fun. And our producer, William, thank you. And our feature guest, Charles, thanks for coming on down. Thank you. Feel free to hit us up on Radio Free Rabbit at twitter.com. And this is the rabbit hole. We'll see you next time.